Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Great to have you back. Simon Alicia here in Melbourne, Australia. Now we have quite a lot to cover today, so I'm going to try and do all components as much justice as I can. Uh, as ever, if you need more information, you can always visit aws.amazon.com. You can visit the uh, the blog, you can visit the product pages, the documentation, etc. Uh, but what we try and do on the podcast is to give you a flavor of what's going on, things you might have missed, things you might want to look more deeply into. And of course, we talk to people, we demystify stuff as well. Uh, a lot of interviews coming up as well in the near future. So please, if uh, people aren't aware that the podcast is back, please do share it with them. They can get it on uh, on iTunes, on Stitcher, the RSS feed, uh, any number of ways to pick it up. So what shall we start with this week? Well, one feature that I know a lot of customers have waited a long time for and have really wanted, uh, myself included, is the support for worldwide delivery of Amazon SNS messages via SMS. Hooray! So now we uh, have support for over 200 countries. That's a lot of countries, pretty comprehensive list. And what this means is that you can now send uh, SNS messages as SMSs to subscribed endpoints, uh, which is useful for a host of different uh, uses. Um, often people use them for uh, some type of multi-factor authentication, push notification, uh, whatever really they need to do in terms of notifying something that's going on. Uh, now you can do it to all the countries that you want to. Uh, you can do this from a whole bunch of regions, including uh, US East, US West, uh, Ireland, Tokyo, Sydney, and the Singapore regions. Um, you can also do a lot more in terms of managing of opt-out and opt-in. You can log delivery status of messages. Uh, you can set spending limits on a per account and per month basis as well. You can see daily SMS usage reports. Uh, a whole bunch of capabilities that I'm not doing justice to because there's just so much to cover. But really what it means is you now have that full SMS capability for SNS and you can do it globally. And I know many of our customers are deploying systems that are truly global and have a global user base. And this gives you that extra capability. So kind of excited about that because I've wanted that for a while too. Speaking of interesting technology and exciting things, we also recently announced the new Elastic Network Adapter or ENA as distinct from the ENI. The ENA is designed to provide even better support for high performance networking. Now the first instance type that supports this is the new X1 instance type and it gives you up to 20 gigabits per second of consistent low latency performance when used within a placement group at no extra charge. Now the longer term goals for the ENA is that it will scale as network bandwidth grows and the vCPU count increases. So what this means is you'll be able to take advantage of higher bandwidth options in the future without the need to install newer drivers or make any other changes that you used to have to do in the past. Now, the ENI has been designed from the ground up to work really well with modern processors, so things like that exist on the X1 instances. And these processors have a large number of virtual CPUs. So in the case of the X1, there are 128. So using shared resources like a network adapter kind of becomes important and challenging. Now, what the ENA does is it gives you very high throughput and fantastic packet per second performance. It reduces the load on the host processor in a number of ways, and it also divides up the packet processing workload across multiple vCPUs very effectively. 
So what are some of the things it does? Well, firstly, it does the checksum generation. So it handles the IPv4 header checksum generation and the TCP UDP partial checksum generation in hardware. So it offloads that work from the CPU. It also provides a multi-queue device interface. So what this means is that you can have multiple transmit and receive queues to reduce the internal overhead and increase scalability. Now, what this basically means is you can map and accelerate the process of incoming and outgoing packets to a particular vCPU. So you really you're optimizing that pipeline, which becomes really important. Similarly, there is now receive side steering. Now, some of you may have come across this in the past. You may be racking your brains. There may have been some database configuration you did that required receive side steering. Essentially, the ENA is able to direct the incoming packets to the proper vCPU for processing. This reduces bottlenecks and increases cache efficiency. So all of this is about making a short, efficient path between the packets and the vCPU that is either generating them or processing them. Now, how do you go and use this? Uh, you need to use a new driver and you need to tag the AMI as having ENA support. So the new driver is already available in the latest Amazon Linux AMIs and will soon be available in the Windows AMIs. There's also an open source Linux driver in GitHub as well, so you can use them in any of your own AMIs. And there's a driver for the Intel Data Plane Developer Kit as well. So if you're building load balancers or virtual routers, you can use it as well. So if you're creating your own AMI, you just need to set the ENA support flag when you register the image. So pretty straightforward to get done. And you can still use that AMI instances that do not support ENA. However, obviously to get the ENA benefits at the moment, the X1 is the go-to instance. And obviously many more in the future will support this. Really exciting change, really uh, improved network capability for those things that really need that high performance. What else is new? Well, we've talked about the uh, Amazon Elastic File System at reInvent, and now it is production ready in three regions, which is really exciting. So you can try it out now. It's available in US East, Northern Virginia, US West Oregon, and Europe Ireland regions at the moment. And so we had an extended preview period for what is really a very complicated workload. You know, EFS, the Elastic File System, is designed for large-scale throughput heavy workloads and lots of different kinds of uh, content and web serving, etc. And what we had to do is try and find the right balance between performance, latency, scale, cost, etc., to make sure that we also had high durability, availability, and a very strong consistency model for access and modification. So the EFS, Amazon Elastic File System, delivers this. It lets you create a POSIX compliant file system and attach them to one or more of your EC2 instances via NFS, something a lot of you will be very, very familiar with. The file system grows and shrinks as necessary. There's no fixed upper limit and you can grow to petabyte scale. Uh, you don't have to pre-provision the storage or bandwidth and you pay for only the storage that you use. EFS always protects your data by storing multiple copies of your files, directories, links, and metadata in multiple availability zones. It also allows you to have uh, multiple clients simultaneously accessing the file system and it scales as things grow. Essentially, in a nutshell, you access each Elastic file system from a single VPC and it's accessed by way of mount targets that you create within that VPC. And you can create a mount target in any subnet of your VPC and you control it, of course, via security groups. So again, very familiar uh, semantics that you use there. Now, there are two distinct performance modes when you use EFS. The default is general purpose. Funnily enough, 
that's the one that suits most uh, most uses and you should use this uh, unless you expect to have tens hundreds or thousands of ec2 instances accessing the file system concurrently the second mode which is called max io is optimized for high levels of aggregate throughputs and operations per second but it incurs a slightly higher latency for file operations so in most cases you start with general purpose then you look at the CloudWatch metrics. In this case, it's the percent IO limit that you'll be hitting uh, when you need to change the mode, which makes it very simple to tune and manage. Now, I spoke a little bit about performance. So obviously, CloudWatch metrics are your friends, and there's a selection of, uh, of metrics that are shared through there automatically. And then there is the ability to burst your workloads. And this bursting is really interesting because if you think about how a lot of file system access takes place. It's kind of like a lot of data just sits there not being accessed and it's suddenly we need it all at once. Uh, so essentially the spiky demand is something we've tried to design for to make sure that we can burst to high throughput levels on an as needed basis. So all file systems in EFS can burst to 100 megabytes per second of throughput. Those that are over one terabyte can burst to an additional 100 megabytes per second for each terabyte stored. So if you have a two terabyte file system, you can go 200 megabytes. A 10 terabyte file system can burst to 1000 megabytes per second. File systems larger than one terabyte can always burst for 50% of the time if they're inactive for the other 50%. And basically there's a credit system that gets used uh, and factors in the size of the file system and it spends those credits whenever the file system incurs a read or a write. And basically the accumulated credits allow you to exercise that burst capability when you need to. Now there's a whole lot of detail about this in the file system performance section in the EFS documentation. So I'm not going to uh, uh, bore you with trying to explain to you all the different nuances thereof. But the main thing to do is to benchmark your workload. One of the beautiful things of course is you pay as you go, pay for what you use, so you can optimize, tune, tweak and change without making any upfront investments or decisions. You can simply specify the file system you feel will suit the workload, run your benchmarks and tests, ensure that it matches that and away you go. If you need to tweak, you need to tune, you can go right ahead and do it. Now pricing, pretty straightforward. It's based on the amount of data that you store. It's sampled several times per day and is charged by the gigabyte per month prorated like we normally do for all the other services. And it starts at 30 cents per gig per month in the US East region. There's no minimum fee, no setup cost. Uh, and in fact, if you're on the uh, AWS free tier, you can use up to five gig of EFS storage per month at no charge. So a great way to experiment and try it. So the Amazon Elastic File System, production ready, out there for you to use and to integrate into your solutions. And the lucky last thing we'll speak about this week there is some updated uh, free online training. Now, as you know, security is very important to us and of course to our customers. It's a huge focus that we have here at AWS. And we provide the AWS Security Fundamentals course, which is a free online course that gives you the fundamentals about cloud computing and AWS security concepts. Things like access control and management, governance, logging, encryption methods, uh, security related compliance protocols, risk management strategies, procedures to uh, audit your AWS security infrastructure, etc. So this course has been significantly updated and it includes new content on the AWS security services related to encryption, network security, access control and management and reporting of user access to AWS services. 
There's also updated information about the AWS Shared Responsibility Model and some really cool new demos. These teach you how to create encrypted root volumes or configure the AWS Web Application Firewall or create and run AWS config rules to evaluate your AWS environment for compliance. There's also a lot more content around AWS compliance and assurance programs and the services that help enforce governance, compliance and risk management. And there's even a short quiz as well. This is a self-paced course. It goes for about four hours. Um, definitely something worth investing your time in. Very easy to find. It's just at aws.amazon.com forward slash training. And it is the AWS Security Fundamentals course. We have covered a lot of ground in a short period of time today. There's always more to talk about. We love your feedback. Podcast at amazon.com. And please tell your friends, tell others. The AWS podcast is happening and hopefully it's a useful resource. We do love your feedback. And until next time, keep on building.